Hey there, Mike here. Dave as well. How's it going? Pretty good. If you're listening to this, this is another one of our remixes down at the rabbit hole. Yep. Wicked. <laughs> Today we're talking to Sandy Metz. We finally got a chance to have Sandy Metz on the podcast, which was a lot of fun. And the episode is uh, number 125, Comparing Programming Languages with Sandy Metz. Yeah, it was uh, interesting like talking with Sandy since she's had such a long history uh, in the programming community, not just with Ruby, but with prior languages. And now looking forward to the new edition of her book, 99 Battles of OOP, where they're expanding it to have even more languages mm -hmm. and having like a perspective of like having this static thing that you've written that you're now translating to other languages and what works and what doesn't work and what's better in one language and versus another. Uh, I think the languages that are going to be released for the second edition is JavaScript and PHP in the future, which is really cool to the fact that we had like the breaking news on the podcast and William just came out of the jump and spoiled the beans right then and there it was a lot of fun. But she was she was awesome enough to share some of the thought process into what language she thought was the one that should be released for 99 Bottles of OOP. And the fact that we got that on the podcast was really cool. Yeah, it's a good time. As of right now, um, the new edition is coming soon for 2020. We'll try and leave the uh, link in the show notes. If you buy the previous edition before the release of the second edition, you get the second edition for free, which is pretty cool. So check it out. Get the first edition in, uh, in Ruby. You can get the JavaScript variants and PHP scheduled for sometime later in 2020. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developers podcast, live from the Boogie Down Bronx. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson, and our producer, William Jeffries, and our special guest, Sandy Metz. There you go. We have it, ladies and gentlemen. Sandy Metz is in the building. <laughs> How are you? Actually, none How's of us are. Not really <laughs> in the building. <laughs> Live in the recording. Building. Yeah. In the internets. Exactly. How's it going, Sandy? How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, we're doing well. I'm I'm very excited for some breaking news that we're going to be releasing <laughs> on the Rabbit Hole Podcast. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. We got I knew this. I'd regret telling you guys. <laughs> Cats out of the bag. You're working on a new project? We are working on a new project at the my most recent book, 99 Bottles of Oop. We're at making it 50% longer and translating it into a number of other languages besides just Ruby. Okay, cool. So not Spanish, but like... No, no. <laughs> it, could, it could be Spanish, though. Like that would be a cross-cutting concern. Yeah. I, I'm always surprised at like the Unicode support in Ruby. Like you can name a method as like an emoji bomb or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so what languages are you going to be translating the book into? Well, maybe all the languages. Probably that's a little extreme. Erlang? Right, right now we have JavaScript. Well, okay. We're leaning toward dynamically typed object-oriented languages. Okay, near and dear we, to your heart. Near and dear to my heart. So that means like starting at Ruby, where it already is, and moving out to JavaScript. The JavaScript's almost done. We're, uh, the PHP is well underway. The Python is just barely started. We're, I'm excited for Python. That's my favorite language. Interesting, huh? 
no 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 it's so hard to know like like which languages to pick who will be interested right mostly what like how would let me just i'm just going to throw it back to you guys how do you decide what languages a book that is that it's really about sort of dynamic oo but uses a specific language like ruby as illustrations like what do you do if you're going to put it in other languages? Then what languages would you choose? I would pick JavaScript first and Python second because your target is web developers like that are adjacent to the Ruby community, and it seems like those would be like if you're if you're at a conference and you do a poll, mm -hmm. a Ruby conference is going to have I would guess the most number of attendants from those two languages. Although maybe I'm wrong about that. No, PHP yeah. is, has a huge following though, so I'm, yeah. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. PHP is surprising. Yeah, <laughs> like, like so, you know, there's a whole thing for everybody wasn't here when we had our initial chat when we talked about the difference between Internet Sandy and Real Sandy. And so, <laughs> so real Sandy is just me, right? And Internet Sandy is that person that people might know. And I sometimes go and speak at PHP conferences. And when I walk in, people know who I am, which really surprises me, right? I'm like, how would you, how could you possibly know who I am? Well, that's funny because like, I read uh, Practical Object Oriented Design in Ruby on a recommendation of a friend, and I was no longer, I was nowhere near a Ruby project. It, it was just that Ruby was the illustrative language and the content was, you know, gave you a good baseline of like how you should think about these kind of problems in in an object oriented way, which is broadly applicable. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not just that Ruby is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> not saying that. Not just. I mean, <laughs> if you wanted to express an idea to programmers who mostly want to see code, then, and you don't know what, and, and there's a bunch of different people who are more comfortable or in different languages, there's a way in which a language like Ruby, which, which has such simple syntax, is sort of the most common denominator. It's the most readable of all those languages, right? They're, like, how much weird syntax is there in Ruby? Not much. And so even if I didn't enjoy writing Ruby code so much, it would make sense to write books about OO in Ruby, I think. But you must feel like there is value in translating it to people's native programming language because you're you know, investing probably a significant amount of resources in, into this yeah. project. I feel the need to be careful here. Like, let me put it this way. So I'm like, I went to vote tech school right? And learned Fortran 35 years ago. Like I don't have a computer science degree. And so the things I know are things that I sort of learned myself or that other people were kind enough to write down so that I could study. And so I am keenly uh, sympathetic for the problem of JavaScript because there are a million JavaScript people out there who just got a, somehow got a website and got a book and wrote some code. And that code is often really painful for them to maintain. But it's like, what should we think about those people? Should we think they're stupid or should we just admire their effort? So there's a way in which I was, I have warm feelings about JavaScript. And what I know is that many JavaScript programmers have read the Ruby books I've written. And so it feels only fair and right to try to get it in their language. So that was really the first, that was the push right, to get it in JavaScript. But then once you solve the tool chain problem of having a book that can be rendered using language A or language B, you may as well just do other languages. 
Totally. I feel that sentiment too with like JavaScript where it didn't even like I I've been a programmer for a while and I've used JavaScript, but it always felt like incidental to the task. Like, you know, the real coding was happening on the back end and server rendered pages. And then the JavaScript was just kind of there, like being scrappy and gluing things together. And, you know, until like Webpack and modules and package NPM came on the scene, it didn't really feel like a real programming thing. It was just something that you had to do. And not a language in which you could write an app that you were proud of in. I'm just, you know, I'm surprised that JavaScript was the first language that you picked. I mean, I suppose I shouldn't be because it, I mean, the way you phrase it makes a lot of sense that there, of course, there would be demand there. It's just that in industry, I've seen so little object-oriented JavaScript and so little interest in writing object-oriented JavaScript. It seems like they want to make it, you know, either functional or procedural or, or something else. I mean, it's, it's a super interesting idea, right? Like, I'm also the OO guy. And so, if the OO paradigm makes sense for some category of problem, I would argue that it does. Not all category of problem, but some problems are really suited to be solved uh, with OO. Then, for languages that can do OO, if you're using that language and you encounter that category of problem, then the OO solution can be the most cost-effective one. I mean, I agree totally, William, that that the knowledge of how to do O in JavaScript, it's not that a JavaScript can't, because it certainly can. It's just that JavaScript doesn't. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like I, I think I think there's also like a class of problems that you you might see with like, you know, a racked application that's just gone out of hand. You know, it's just components all over the place and uh, there's logic in them and things are all tangled and it's like, how did we get here? Like, well, we're just passing data structures down. We're just passing like naive data structures and they can't help themselves. So the components need to do all the heavy lifting. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with like old school developers who are like, you know what you need? You need objects right now. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the strong resistance, like, no, Mm -hmm. not in my JavaScript. Mm -hmm. Get these objects out of here. But like they, they, you know, they, they help. Especially with React, which is, you know, rather opinionated in its functionality. It seems like sometimes like, you know, React can be a functional thing. Like it is a view that's a result of a function of some inputs. Um, but when it needs to do something that's more dynamic or, um, you know, domain modeled, like to things that you have passed into it, then oh, could be useful. The thing I always wonder, the thing I was going to say a second ago is, like if the frameworks in many languages, the frameworks themselves sort of push you away from doing OO because the frameworks make all the decisions and they want you to just pass on lumps of stuff that they, that the frameworks do things with. But, but I would wonder if you like look under the covers in react, if you look under the covers in all those JavaScript frameworks, like how object oriented is it behind the curtain? And I suspect pretty OO ish. I would assert that things, we all know, like things get out of control and they're hard to maintain if they're just spaghetti. And so some organizing paradigm needs to be underlying those frameworks or else they just can't be tested and maintained. Can you translate the book into React? <laughs> no. It's no. a React component. You have not, to- not doing it. Component-sized <laughs> bottles, 99 bottles of them. <laughs> <Ain't> <laughs> <happening>. Change.org. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, like I 
you know, I'm sort of making a living out of not teaching people how to use frameworks. Like I am not interested in that. Not that I'm saying that frameworks are bad. I think frameworks are great. There's a bunch of things in the world that are commodities that I want to get some other software to do for me. But if you only know how to use frameworks, you probably are only capable of using frameworks, right? Like if you want to be able to write a big app and solve a big problem, mostly what you want is to write your own code and drive the framework away from you and use it at the edges of your app and put all your code in the middle. And so for apps of any complexity, that pile of code that you would write to represent your app might be big and probably it shouldn't be, you know, use some other paradigm. It shouldn't just lean on the framework, right? There's more to it than just the piles of stuff that you would, the parts where your code touches the framework. There's more to life than a 2000 line helpers file. Yeah, it is the truth. <laughs> so when you were translating the book into JavaScript, did you find any areas where you felt like the language was fighting you? Actually, okay. I am not the person who's doing the, t perhaps I gave you the wrong impression. I'm not writing the JavaScript. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough at JavaScript to do that. There's a guy, uh, someone you might know, actually, Tom Stewart, who wrote the book, Understanding Computation. He's really good at OO and he's good at JavaScript. And his, uh, it all looks, it looks very much like Ruby to me. Like there's almost nothing. The only thing I can think of that is different are things that where we, we use like the inherited hook in Ruby, the inherited callback to do some registration and that callback's not there. All right. But every, like the syntax is a little bit different, but all the things that I want to do OO wise are there in JavaScript. Did you have to translate any of the, the plain English? Yeah, 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 yeah. But not too much. The difference between a method or a function and a message, like those things don't necessarily seem different. One of them is like the function or method that you would define on an object. And the other is from the sender's point of view, the, the way I would invoke that. And in my mind, those are, I, I make a big distinction between them. Like sending a message, like I wouldn't send a method. I send a message and over there on the other side of the wall, it somehow invokes a method. And those two things could be tightly coupled, like the name of the message and the name of the method might be the same. Often they are. But I really want to think about those in different ways because from the message center's point of view, I want to really insist on being ignorant about what's over there. That language is not the kind of thing that comes naturally to a JavaScript programmer. Hmm. And, yeah, right? interesting. And, yeah, I, right? even like... I mean, I eventually learned Ruby for, for realsies, but even then, like I didn't dive deep enough to, to think about those kind of distinctions. So what we want is to be, to use the language that people are familiar with that seems idiomatic in their language. And so those things happened in the book. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, they, like that's really one of the most important things when shifting between languages, not surprising people in drastic ways where you go too far into like, you know, Ruby land where you try to do some like meta programming with your class or something like that. Exactly. So was there any like a uh, comparison between the languages that are between the code samples and different languages that you found really surprising? It's always interesting. Like you think you know something, right? And then the whole world looks like that thing. And I am so used to 
not having interfaces in Ruby, not having to declare an interface, just doing a hand wavy thing and saying, it's a duct type. Can't you see? Just don't screw it up. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And, you know, when I teach, I'm always asking, like I go in, I teach these classes and mostly they're Ruby people, though I sometimes teach in other languages. And I inevitably ask the whatever dynamically type language they have, I'll say, do you ever check, do you ever send a message and check the kind of the thing that came back so that you'll know how to talk to it? And people say, oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> and I say, how's that working out for you? <laughs> and they say, we hate it. It's killing us. Right? <laughs> and it. You know, it's the thing that the statically typed language people, the people who have compilers, they're, they just pull their hair out when they see that code, right? Like, it's the kind of mistake that, that you mostly, like, you probably could if you, if you were harebrained enough, you could. But if you just behave in the normal way, the, the, least, the frictionless way in a statically typed language, you cannot do that, right? It's not possible to make that error because the compiler ensures that when you send a message, the thing you get back response to the API that you expect it to have, right? So in Ruby, like I, I never do that. I never check kind of, because I know that you shouldn't. That's a bad idea. Things should polymorphically, if you send a message, whatever you get back, the things should polymorphically conform to the API that you expect. And that means you just have to make them all be that way, right? If you're going to, right? And you just have to do it. And you have to know that. And you can't ever break that rule. Like you can't ever, ever, ever break that rule. And yet for people who it surprises me that people come to dynamically typed languages and when the compiler is removed, it, here's, here's, it happens in big shops where, where we have new people come in all the time and failures of communication. Then you get in this situation where they make this rat's nest of message sends where different kinds of objects come back and they don't all conform to the same API. And instead of fixing it and making them all behave the same, they just start saying, well, if you're, if you're a truck, I'll ask you for this. And if you're a carrot, I'll ask you something else. And so it was super interesting to me that, so the, the, I'm answering the, I really am getting around to answering the question about the interesting things in languages that I found out when we did the translations, because PHP is dynamically typed, but you can turn strict typing on and they can also declare interfaces. Hmm. Ah, okay. And, I, and, I, and those are runtime interfaces? Yeah, they, it enforces them at runtime. Wow. Oh, wow. And I would never have predicted that I would say this. But it was kind of nice. <laughs> like, like, I don't want all that cruft about declaring, like, like, I don't want type safety if it makes code hard to read. But where I can selectively turn it on to keep people from accidentally making mistakes, I don't know. I didn't hate it. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. I was kind of dragged into uh, accepting my pie into my life in Python. Mm -hmm. And... After like getting used to, you know, the muscle memory of like thinking about the types of your arguments and thinking about the signature of, you know, the, the method name with the arguments and the return type. And then like talking with one of our senior devs, who's like a big fan of design patterns, like all about design patterns, all about the Java, the interfaces and like strategy pattern and things like that. I was like, oh, wait, I get it. I get it. Like you can label something as like, you know, having this interface and then just swap them in and out. And it's, it's a, a big Eureka kind of, kind of moment. I mean, it's like, I wish if I could wave a wand and make a thing be true in all like dynamically typed shops out there, say even in all Ruby shops, I would like ban the use of kind of and say, 
you have to decide what role a thing plays and make it play that role. And you just have to do it. And the, the price for you having to keep that straight yourself is you get this sort of enormous freedom and flexibility of those non of those dynamically typed languages. But they're not without cost. And so, I, you know, I wish that I could, like, I don't want to have to give up dynamism to have interfaces that are trustworthy. But it's super important that your interfaces be trustworthy. And the, the PHP people can sort of have both worlds, which is kind of nice. There, there, were, there were plenty of things about PHP that I didn't love. Don't get me wrong. I wrote some code for that class that I had. To, I actually put some comments in my code that said, you know, this made me cry. <laughs> like I was getting up every morning and translating the Ruby curriculum into PHP and then taking it to class and, you know, letting them tell me what what was non-idiomatic about it. But at least it meant a whole, I had a whole class full of PHP programmers that then got to take the course in PHP instead of Ruby. So it was better for them, but it was, it was like harder for me. But then they were really nice about all my feeble attempts, you know, but there's something like, it'll make you appreciate the innumerable library in Ruby. Oh, yeah. You know, that'll it'll make you love innumerables to go write, try to write those looping things in other languages. It's like, how can people live like this? Right. <laughs> having having that like rich standard library to lean on, like really is pretty nice. Was there yeah. anything else that you wanted to steal from any of the other languages that you translated the book into? Like, I mean, you could get them into Ruby core. You know, that thing in JavaScript where a function is just a variable is, is just a, a block assigned on a variable. Like the syntax that you use to overwrite a method is the same as the syntax you would change, you would use to change the assignment of a variable. It is the same thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And in Ruby, you can do that. You can overwrite a method, say you can create an instance of a class and then go right over a method and make it behave differently. But you almost, but the syntax is completely different. Right, it's a completely odd, not very commonly used syntax, even though it's allowed. Which what is I intentional, like they're trying to discourage you. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> problem maybe. But here's the thing: if everything is an object and everything is a method, maybe everything is just an assignment to a variable. Like the more you can have just a few things and have everything behave that same way, then the easier it is to get sort of pluggable function. Like you can write things that are surprisingly useful in new and unexpected contexts if they're not special. And one of the things I found out when I was writing JavaScript is that I would sometimes go, hmm, and just take an existing object and change the, you know, rewrite over one of its functions just on that one. I would decorate one with different behavior for a specific function just because it seemed so lightweight because it was just doing variable assignment. And that, that's a technique that I don't ever use in Ruby because it seems much more heavier weight. Not that it's different because it's exactly the same thing, but it's, it makes it seem harder because the syntax is special. And I, I don't know, maybe you could say it's a bad idea. Like, is it a good idea in JavaScript that it, the language itself led me to do that? I mean, it was super useful the time I used that technique. And I, it, it was surprising to me. It was like the language itself had some expectation about, like the way they put it together indicated to me how they thought I might use it. And I was perfectly willing to do that. Mm -hmm. right? right. It's just that, completely lightweight, like the bare minimum of rules. Yeah. Like why would they have done it that way if they didn't mean for me to do it sometimes myself? <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> so just like kind of winding back to 
talk about types for a second. I saw a post recently about how Stripe is rolling out a type checker for Ruby called Sorbet. So now that you've seen the power of types, Sandy, are you excited to nice. have that power? Okay. I I want to beg the seen the power of types question. <laughs> it felt like a little leading, right? <laughs> it was totally leading. Okay, let me let me just repeat. Like I don't object to type safety. Who would? Right? That's crazy talk. Like what I don't want is cruft to get it. And and if my choice is what and and I know like people. I'm not saying everybody would agree with this statement, but for me, from someone who's like lived in the dynamically type world for many, many, many years now, decades, like the the cost of the the artifacts that it takes right now to get uh, its type safety are too high. And I firmly believe I've been able to do it, and I firmly believe people can learn to write safe dynamic OO. Now, there's always a the bigger the shop is, the younger the people are, the more the communication problem is, the more you probably need some help, right? But there are problems for which it's perfectly fine to write straight up dynamic OO. I've looked at that sorbet and I, like, here's the question I would ask. Why do you need this? What is the problem? What problem are you experiencing that is causing you to feel as if you have to be explicit about your types and that the other forms, what this, what it means to me is that other forms of communication have failed. Mm-hmm. Your organization has grown to a point where like you're no longer familiar with all of the code and, and how it should and, be used and the documentation of it. And my question would be like, is, was there nothing you could do in, like, could you have written unit tests if you're using our spec, like the shared example groups or using mini tests, any kind of a test, like how come you're not test, have a test for a duct type? that you include in everything that says it plays that role such that you can clearly identify which things are played, which things conform to an interface without having to declare an interface and get the compiler to help you. Right. And so I'm not saying sorbet is wrong. I, I suspect there are places where they really need it, but if I have to specify types everywhere, I wonder if I should be using some language other than Ruby. Right. Right? Why am I? Why do I have slow dynamic languages if I'm specifying types? Why don't I just go to a statically typed language and get the speed if I'm going to pay that price? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's that's an interesting point. Like, so it's like it's all about trade offs. Like, and it's, it, it's, it's a more free. it's a more layer of things to think about and potentially get wrong too. Because I've definitely yeah. done that too, where I've yeah. I've oh, put yeah. my types on something and I'm I'm not like religiously checking them, but they're there as like hints for me to like know what's what something is and then i find that i've just lied to myself at some point in the future where it's like oh i got that wrong i think it's marketing i think that types are hot right now and ruby needs types in order to stay competitive like oh. people are moving to other languages mm-hmm. i think types aren't free Those kids yeah, even if it's kid. a bad even if it's a bad choice being able to list it on your feature matrix i think <laughs> That's what the kids want these days. They want those types. They want the types. Oh, man. Gotta stay relevant. I don't know. <laughs> I have a question uh, before we go. So you mentioned that uh, 99 bottles will be featured in other languages, uh, such as PHP, JavaScript, and Python. Do you have an idea of what the next language would be? Will there be a survey? Is there something Science. you have in your gut that you want to express in 99 bottles? Partly it's just what I want to do, 
what I want to learn next? Survey is a great idea. We should ask people, you know, every problem is better solved by crowdsourcing. Despite what I just said about types, I'm a little bit interested in TypeScript. Like I, I would like to know what it felt like to write TypeScript and if it seemed like a good solution for some category of problem. And I, I think the answer to that is obviously yes, given its popularity. But I sort of, I feel the need to know something about it. I want to be able to tell people, if someone asked me, like, should I use JavaScript or should I use TypeScript? I would like to have an informed opinion, which I don't have right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Sandy, how can people contact you? And what do you like to plug? Okay, I'm on Twitter as at Sandy Metz, S-A-N-D-I-M-E-T-Z. And my website is sandymets.com. The book that we've been talking about, you can find it by going to the content tab. I feel the need to give some hint that the peach, well, the JavaScript version will be available this fall. The PHP version shortly thereafter. This will be the second edition. So it's like the book is half again as much book in three languages. And what we finally realized, it was just too much trouble to try to deal with separate, like separate products. So we're just going to bundle the beer version and the milk version, because there's a milk version, since everybody can't have beer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to bundle beer, milk, the second edition, and all the language variants together in one package. And that'll be available this fall. That doesn't mean if for anybody who's listening who might want what's of the Ruby, the first six chapters, the first edition in Ruby, if you get it now, so what is it, whatever the date is, I'll look at the calendar and know what the date is. So from now on, if you buy it, you'll get the second edition when it's released. Oh, awesome. No reason to wait. (laughs) Get it now. Get it now. And then you can just catch up on the remaining chapters when the second edition comes out in the fall. Yeah, We'll definitely have those on the show notes as well. Yeah, well, I'm getting thirsty. Yeah, you heard it from here first, ladies and gentlemen. 99 bottles of beer, milk, juice, water. JavaScript. It's all here. JavaScript, <laughs> PHP, Python. Sandy Metz, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.